Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and my co-host, David Partain, is here today. Now, hello, David. Hello, Laura. <laughs> so we're, we're recording this in back to school season. And I know, David, that this is the first year in many years that you are not sending anyone back to school. How does that feel? Well, from a financial perspective, it feels great, especially when it got to college. But it is a little weird to have all five of mine done with school. And now I get to pretend like I'm going back to school with you today. <laughs> well, I am, you know, I'm excited. I can finally see the end in sight. I'm taking my youngest off for her freshman year at the end of this week. So mm. while I've not been able to get any of my three children to pursue the financial planning path, no matter how much I've pushed it, I still <laughs> enjoy learning about the burgeoning programs that are existing across the country in all the major universities and and also better understanding how today's young recruits are coming to firms with such a much stronger background than many of us did years ago. So in keeping with the back to school theme on today's episode, we will be talking with Professor Steve Schiestel. Steve heads the financial planning program at Michigan State University. We're going to talk to him about what he did to start that program, to get it funded, to get it approved by the CFP board, and how he's grown the number of students in the program in a very short period of time. Then we'll shift gears and we'll talk about how firms can utilize people like Steve to help them not only find young talent, but to find the right talent for what they need. Steve, we are so excited to have you on the show today, and I'm hoping you could tell us a bit about yourself and your background in financial planning. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Really excited for this conversation, be able to tell our story that we're doing at Michigan State's Broke College of Business, and then really for kind of representing all of the various CFP registered programs throughout the country. I guess to get started for myself, I always tell always tell students that I've kind of, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of having kind of like three different careers, if, if you want to call it that. Uh, when I came out of undergrad, I was a finance major from the University of Michigan, Flint. And I spent the first seven years of my career working in the commercial banking side of the business, first with a bank called NBD Bank, which has been merged multiple times now into JP Morgan. Um, after seven years and getting my MBA from Michigan State University, and the Charter Financial Analyst, the CFA designation, I jumped over into the wealth management area and spent 14 years at Citizens Bank, which has went through a couple of mergers, and now we know them as Huntington. I always tell students that I started my journey in wealth management in August of 1999, and I saw the final six months of the kind of the bull market, the end of the bull market that we saw kind of in the, the original dot-com era, and then unfortunately saw three years of very tough markets from 2000, 2002. 
And then in 2014, came over and kind of started my third career as a teacher at Michigan State in the business school, teaching finance and whatnot. And then starting in, you know, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to help a few few former colleagues join a small little RIA that keeps my keeps at least a, a toe or two in the real world and kind of bring that back into the classroom. Wow, what a what a great career. And I want to echo what Laura said and just say thank you for coming on. Probably a great place for us to start is to understand what triggered your move into academia. Did you join MSU specifically with the intent of building out a CFP program? No. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting, my journey into teaching. When I actually, when I was an undergrad, when I started undergrad, I went in as a history major to be a history teacher. <laughs> and then as we all probably have experienced, or a lot of us have experienced that what we start off with as an 18-year-old and as we graduate as a 22 or whatever age that we graduate, sometimes follows the same path and sometimes has some you know, twists and turns along the way. And so, yeah, I went in as a history major, came out as a finance major. But um, so I guess I always had this I guess this thought of one day being a teacher. And so a friend of mine reached out or we had somehow reconnected. A high school friend had reconnected many years after the fact through Facebook. And I saw that he was going through a PhD program at Michigan State. Anyways, I I had a few opportunities to come in. And this is when I was working in wealth management on the investment side, Mm -hmm. came over to Michigan State, kind of talked to the students about, hey, here's the person, you know, person or two from the real world. And kind of expressed that, oh, this would be a, a really cool career to get into at one point in my life. Well, six months later, he said, we got an opportunity to teach at night. And so this would have been 2011. Well, I have twins and then a younger um, a younger son that at the time were mm. you know middle school age. And I'm like, this is not really a good time. And I get to, <laughs> to, to, to bolt another job on. But I, I kind of told my wife and I said, you know what, this might be a one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. So I kind of, you know, taught at night for a couple of years. And then in 2014, the old college or the old high school friend um, left Michigan State and I kind of filled his role. And so I started in the fall of 2014 full-time and almost mm-hmm. immediately upon starting, they were saying, hey, you know, we're, you know, we welcome to have you here, have you teaching students, you know, intro to finance and security analysis. And oh, by the way, we're working on this wealth management project. And you come from this side of the business. And so why don't you lead the charge? And so it was kind of something that upon my welcoming to Michigan State and the Broad College of Business, that one of the first projects was figure out what this whole wealth management CFP thing is all about and see how we can incorporate it into into the program here at at Michigan State. So it sounds like Michigan State has a debt to pay your wife. In uh, they, yeah. And I think for a while, you know, they were like, they were like well, okay, yeah. we're, we're making an investment, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, I can speak from experience myself from when you look at eight, when you're 18 to what you want to be. And I think Laura actually went to college to be a professional magician, right, Laura? <laughs> no, I, w- I was going to be a CPA until they told me um, after my second stats class that business was just not for me. And so they redirected me to be an English major. I got a big thrill when I got to ring the bell on the New York Stock Exchange and send it to my uh, school to let them know that uh, I finally got to business, even though they didn't think I had it in me. <laughs> well, Steve, tell us about how you built the program. 
A couple of questions here. What goes into getting something like that off the ground within an, within an educational establishment? And kind of were there others in the financial community offering to help to support the initiative? And last, what does getting a CFP board certification look like? Is that a what is is that a big deal? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess to start with your first question. So we were very, I guess, privileged within our college in that Plant Moran, which is a regional CPA firm with a very large RIA attached to them. A number of Michigan State alums, you know, work for Plant Moran. And so they mm. they were the original catalyst coming back saying that they would love to have a CFP registered program located within a business school. And then that would help to fulfill or fill some of their, let's say, talent acquisition needs. But they knew, but they knew for the program to be successful, obviously, you know, they needed it with enough, let's say, breath to accomplish both, I guess, their needs along with many, many others. And so um, all along, I mean, they've been a very, very, I guess, important partner initially, especially early on, as far as being the catalyst and, and seeing whatever whatever means was necessary to help us kind of navigate through, whether it was making introductions to other program directors that they had met through their recruiting efforts, or just kind of being a sounding board help us out. And then along the way, there's been a number of firms, you know, large firms, small firms, and those in between that kind of lent helping hands just by, you know, if if anything more than any, you know, just providing feedback, providing a helping hand, providing, you know, opportunities for students. So once we kind of, you know, worked through the internal part of the process, as far as like, how do we create the class, the curriculums, where should it be located, and all those organizational type of issues. Then we went through the process of getting it registered with the CFP board. And the CFP board has been, you know, really from the very beginning, very helpful, accommodative. Really, their their request is that there are that the that a CFP registered program must be at least six classes, each class being three credits. We're talking like 18 credits, covering the 70 learning objectives that they have laid out for the educational requirements and that the final class be a capstone class where a student will complete a true comprehensive financial plan. And really outside of that, they provide a lot of leeway for programs to design it that kind of fits within the within kind of the structures of their schools. And so we initially set ours up as just a program which was just a loose internal marketing term, let's say, just a way for me to to describe very quickly the six classes, both to employers and then to students. And so that all started and kicked off with the graduating. So we started that off in 2018, graduated our first students in 2019. um, And then just this past year, it went to a minor. And so it's actually something that becomes quote unquote transcriptable something that the students can put on there, you know, that'll be, you know, showing up on their transcripts, clearly showing on their resumes. Yeah, I saw that on the website. Yeah. So, Steve, I'm curious, like, so they go through this program, but you can't really sit for the test until you've had a couple of years of practical experience. That's right? Oh, you can actually sit technically once the students finish all six courses complete the capstone class, they could technically sit for the exam then. 
that so so I always say, well, it's upon graduation, and for I would say ninety percent of the students when they finish a capstone class, that is at graduation. You know, it's right the the spring term before graduation. But but again, for students that are on any other type of cycle, they could in theory sit for the exam almost immediately thereafter. And so there's not now. You know, I, I always describe that, you know, the CFP program is, has the four E's where education is one of those E's. That's where we come in. That's we, along with the other 150 plus programs throughout the country, helps fulfill that part of it. The other E would, would be is that the, that a, um, you know, a certificate holder a designee would be operating in an ethical fashion. The third E is that they have the experience. And I think, Laura, that's maybe where you're speaking, that before you can actually put the letters behind your name, you need the, you know, there's a couple different definitions of experience. Generally, the most widely accepted would be like three years of work experience. Um, and then the four e, fourth E would be you got to pass the test. And so we do the education piece to prepare the students to take the exam. Right. When we were preparing for this episode and I was drilling you, on, you know, all the things we could consider talking about today, you really gave me some impressive statistics. You've gone from, I believe, what you said was 16 students in 2019 to now 49 seniors in this upcoming academic year. And <laughs> let's not forget COVID was in the middle of all that. Yes. Um, I, I'm wondering what you do to, you know, if you're using this program to attract students that are already within the university. I remember a few pre-COVID, you know, everything's pre or post, right? But pre-COVID, I was down at uh, University of Illinois and I'd met with Craig Lemoyne and he was telling me that how he, and he's grown his program tremendously, but he said the biggest key to growing the program for him had been hosting pizza parties where (laughs) kids could come and get free pizza. And he always had a full room and he was able to snag a few after each event. I'm I'm curious, like what kind of recruiting do you do with the students at MSU? Yeah. So we, so, so our first class, which would have been the, the class of 2019, so those that graduated when we were in a pre-COVID environment, we had 16 students. Um, and then in the next year, which would have been the, you know, the first COVID graduating class in the 2020, we had 19, and then we grew to 29 this past year, 30. And then as you alluded to, Laura, that we're, as of right now, we have 49 students signed up as seniors to go through the program. We also just are launching a master's program, which I kind of view as like a, like a fifth year, kind of an undergrad building onto a, like a one-year building onto an undergrad. And we have like right now eight students, maybe nine in, in that one. And so if I kind of look at it as the 49 plus those master's students, you know, we probably are reaching our first level of capacity. As far as how we grew, you know, it, it was kind of multifaceted. One, we have a our intro to finance class. So every single broad business student has to take an intro to finance class. And so I went into the mass lectures. This again would have been like in a, in a pre-COVID 2019, 2018 um, timeframe and just gave a quick five minute little synopsis of what is wealth management? What is financial planning? What our program is about and why this is just an awesome career. Just some of the statistics about kind of the need for young talent. 
that I would host a, a seminar or two. I didn't really use Craig's pizza idea. I was just maybe hoping that the <laughs> su- subject matter enough would be the draw. And so I fortunately was able to get some students show up. Probably for us, it's, you know, I would say it's probably two, two things would account, probably three things. One would be the launching of the minor, definitely springboarded interest. Cause I think it just, you know, as students are just, you know, exploring options and they see a minor and like, wow, okay, what's this all about? Uh, the second thing that I, that's grown is that we have a student organization, our Wealth Management Association. Uh, we've had some just phenomenal students kind of leading that, and they've done some really creative, cool things. Uh, one would be a podcast where they've done, a, you know, inter, you know, inter, interviewed a number of different advisors. And, and what's the name of the podcast? Yeah, so that's the MSU WMA podcast. I mean, that says, you know, maybe we need some marketing help on that, but, <laughs> but, you know, and, and so we use that A as an opportunity for advisors to talk to students and then for students to be able to learn about the profession. Because really the question is the students asking professionals, you know, how did you get here? What would you tell, you know, what advice would you give us and, and whatnot? But that's kind of, I think, expanded. And then that group has been very active on social. And so they will, you know, the WMA, the Wealth Management Association uh, logo will fall on various, you know, platforms. And then by the third thing would be word of mouth, that it's the the program. You know, I, I've, I've kind of adopted this principle that we've got to always have our ears open and listen to student feedback and loose listen to firm feedback so that we can course correction. Sometimes we are literally course correcting during the middle of terms in order to make sure that we're putting the students in the best possible position to learn the material and then to get all the soft skills that they can to be successful. So we were introduced pre-COVID by Mark Van Verhees, who was running yes. the program at Central Michigan University. Now he's not doing that anymore. But, you know, what I saw in him and the all, all of the, the people in positions similar to yours is just this phenomenal passion that you all have for not just the content, but for your students. And every one of you that I've met has been like so laser focused on making sure that the outcomes are terrific for the students. And, you know, I believe that, you know, it shows in the success rate of job placement. And I think in your program, it's it's right around 100%. Yeah, um, just about. Yeah. So that, you know, that's just fantastic. But tell us a little bit about how you get your students placed, how you help them get placed and the types of roles that they're filling. And, and then most importantly, how firms can and should engage with you and, and even, you know, your peers at other schools, because I know you're all really open to that. Yeah. So I guess if I'm a firm owner, I mean, maybe taking the, the the second part of the question first, is that from a firm owner, you mean, if you're thinking of looking locally within your, you know, wherever your geographic footprint is, if you just go out to the CFP website and basically like you're trying to find a program, geographically, you can dial into, you know, if there's someone in your local vicinity that you want to make some connections with, that's probably a, a great way to start. I've been amazed of the number of firms that have reached out to me. And I often wonder like, oh, how'd you find out that either I exist or that our program exists? But <laughs> but sometimes it's, you know, again, word of mouth. And so 
yeah, so from that standpoint, how to reach out and establish those those relationships. I guess the, the, the front part of your question, I mean, I I guess I take it on myself and I think a lot of program directors might feel the same way, but I guess thinking about it just from my, I guess, philosophy is that when I start off the program, start off the first classes, because I do teach the intro class, that I say, you know, this is an awesome career. I mean, there are very few careers kind of within finance where I feel that you can work with individuals, you can help listen to them and understand what their you know, their needs are, but maybe what some of their issues are and find them and give them advice in order to make, you know, changes that are going to have, you know, a very important impact on their lives. And so it is both market oriented and quantitative, but it's so qualitative as well. So I sit up there and then say, then on top of this being such a great career, the there is more and more need for advisors. There's more and more need for good advisors and young advisors. And so I'm kind of telling the students, hey, you guys are at a great place. You're at a also at a great time because there are so many firms looking. And then I'm sitting there going, okay, let's hope that we get <laughs> the jobs at this. So then I, I really have taken on myself saying, you know, as I'm describing this and talking about how great it is, that we do have to make sure that we can find ways of connecting you know, students to employers. So oftentimes I will tell employers, I'll do whatever you need me to do. If I need to just share a link to your website where a job posting is, we'll do that. If you need me to describe if there's something a little unique to your culture or where you're located or whatever the situation is, and then if, if that can help to maybe reduce and maybe laser focus on certain students, we can do that as well. If you need me to like send resumes and package them up and send them back to the employers, whatever it takes in order to be, I guess, as helpful as possible to make sure that the right student lands in the right firm. And really, I, I you know, at the beginning of the of the program, I try to describe to the students that, you know, in our profession, we have so many different firms, so many different business models, so many different ways of what the expectations that a young person would have to do, whether it's maybe build a book right from the beginning, or maybe be part of a team that is, you know, tasked with providing support, building experience, and eventually then maybe you become a leader, but whatever the situation is, that they can kind of figure out what fits best with them so that they hopefully can get into the profession and then stay in the profession if this is something that kind of meets what, you know, their career goals are. Well, David knows this. One of my challenges is being able to effectively delegate. And, you know, while I'm getting better, it still remains a tough one for me. I'm always thinking, Steve, about how long it would take me to teach someone to do something versus just getting it done more quickly on my own. And I know that that's not a good trait, especially for a manager. Um, but I'm guessing that there's others like me in the RIA and financial advisory world. And I'm hoping that maybe you can talk to us, you know, shift a little bit and talk to us about internships. How can firms develop internships so that they can use them to their best advantage and help bring someone along who's new to, into the industry? And how do you, you know, do you help firms figure that out? And what do they need to do to take students on as interns and kind of give them a, a test run before maybe hiring them? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I will, you know, I, I have had the, I've had the great opportunity of having discussions with 
with firms where they will ask that exact same question. And I always joke and years ago when when we were at the bank, we were we were given a couple of, of one year we were given an intern at the very last minute and we had no preparation and it was in hindsight a terrible internship. So I always kind of joke saying, well, I'll tell you everything, you know, what not to do, because we probably did it in, in, in my old life. In fact, one one particular intern went in as a business major and then came out of the internship experience, wanted to go into, into medical school. So we were like, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so that was because of a complete lack of preparation. And so what, what, what I've done is either just shared with firms what other what I see other firms doing. But more importantly, I've probably done this exercise two times very specifically, and then just a whole host of conversations that are more just you know ad hoc. But in, this, in the two situations, I literally went to the students saying, okay, what have you experienced in interns? This would be obviously for seniors, but what did you experience in your internships that you liked? What didn't you like? And let's build a perfect internship. And it was amazing the two times that we did it, the commonality of what the students came up with. And so really, you know, there, there's a host of things, but where it kind of starts off is, you know, the very first thing is, hey, hopefully it's paid. And I think the vast majority of firms kind of follow along with that. Um, but really more, I mean, I guess from a structure standpoint, that is there a primary project that maybe throughout the internship that the student works on and maybe can present it at the end, something where, you know, it's something that they take a little bit of ownership, whatever that project may be, but it's something very kind of tangible at the same time, being able to participate in client meetings is huge, you know, and whether it is just to be, you know, a person in the room or a person on the Zoom call, or maybe they're even chartered with specific tasks, like take notes, take those notes and put it into the CRM, have the advisor then allow and see how good their note-taking ability is. Maybe help set up a, or confirm a call with a, with a client. Some of them have actually went, been able to use the financial planning software system, whether you know the firm uses Right Capital or eMoney or or Money Guide Pro, whatever it is. But they actually get their you know fingers in the software, get some experience with the software. Some have actually had the ability to look at client portfolios and you know come up with initial thoughts on how they would maybe rebalance an account or what they would sell to raise cash in situations like that. Obviously, no firm is going to give them the execution ability, <laughs> but at least to say, hey, how do you think we should raise some money here? Being involved in staff meetings and training, um, actually seeing forms, you know, the forms that we have to fill out, whether it's internal documents or custodial forms. And so I think just kind of being part of uh, this. So I you know, as we kind of gathered this up through the student conversations, you know, I've shared it with firms where, you know, a, a firm literally came and said, we want to build something, help us out. And so I kind of shared the list with them. And then they kind of, okay, based on how our practice is set up, which of these can we use and how can we structure it? And so this is, it's been great. It's been great being able to hear what works, maybe what doesn't work. So it's, I, I think I always look at it as a feedback loop. That's what I always hope that that we can build from the, the colleges and the universities with the with, with the firms like feedback where what works what can we improve upon on both sides so that it's a great educational experience and then that internship experience leading to jobs can can work out as well for all parties involved yeah that's that's really great off off 
five of my children were involved in internships. Two of them led to jobs later, later on after graduation. And so, but some of them had internships that weren't as good as we had hoped. Let's put it that way. And mm-hmm. so it, it, that is really great advice. And I'm glad somebody as uh, like yourself is, is giving employers feedback. I'm, I'm wondering as you are working with your students, helping to place them, I know as a manager what I'm looking for, but what do you think the most sought after skills today are that they can provide and how are you growing those skills within your program? That's an awesome question. You know, I am kind of surprised. I find that the larger the firm and maybe the more, maybe more of a, more of a, like a structured process. So they have the mm-hmm. internship process that leads to full-time. I find that those firms will lean much heavier on behavioral type questions. Hmm. And what I gather from that is, is that they're, they're making some assumptions that if someone's in a registered program, that they're going to have some certain technical skills and maybe anything that's lacking, we can fill it in. But if it, but they're looking, I think for the right type of personality or the right type of, let's say character to kind of fit in with their firms. And then I find that the smaller firms or maybe the ones that are doing it you know, for some of the first times, they'll get some, there are some pretty, you know, (laughs) some pretty tricky questions that they will Mm -hmm. ask the students to go through. And and I think it's more of like, uh, I I sometimes gather where it's like, but I want to make sure I get the, maybe the, maybe the most technically proficient candidate as I can get. And then along the way, because it's maybe just me as the firm owner or, you know, me and a couple others that are just, you know, the firm operators, we're going to be able to get those soft skills through. So it kind of depends on the firm. But I would say that what I hear over and over and over is, as you can imagine, you know, that they're looking for students that they're almost assuming that they're going to be able to have some of the technical proficiencies. And they know like, that the students are just fine, that they're starting out, that this is in it. It's an ongoing learning type of job. But I think it's more of those, you know, how comfortable are they in, in client conversations? How good are their phone skills? When they're in meetings, can they course correct if they are, let's say, maybe leading the conversation? Mm. And how well are their listening skills? And so these are things that I try to bring back into our program. And I do kind of struggle, like, is is me repeating that empathy and listening and coming in with your, you know, with, with your eyes wide open, let's say, is that enough hearing it multiple times or are there exercises that I can incorporate? And so I'm always trying to listen and learn, like, what, what are little things, maybe little exercises we can add for that? But at a minimum, knowing that these are the types of personality traits that firms know that they need from their advisors and making sure that then the students either, you know, will say, oh yeah, you know, I can have that, or maybe I got to do some introspection on my part saying, is this going to fit for me? Yeah, that it's, it's really uh, great advice. I know with my youngest son who just graduated and went on to a job after having an internship after his junior year with the organization. One of the things that attracted them to him, and he was a computer coder, is the fact that he actually admitted, yeah, I don't have any experience. So he didn't try to BS his way. He just basically said, yeah, I don't have any experience with that language. And they were like, 
you don't know how many people he learned this after the fact you don't know how many people try to tell us oh i know how this works and uh it's just it doesn't pay off so the fact that he was honest was one of the things they were looking for and because they felt like they could teach him or train him in the in the language so that's great advice and we've covered so much ground today but I'm gonna I'm gonna close with kind of a big question, I, and I'm curious if there's any objections that you hear from potential employers that you don't think ring true as it relates to hiring current young college graduates, and are there any stereotypes or myths that you'd have to or like to bust? Yeah, I would say I think the second part of your question immediately the the, the myths and the stereotypes and these are more I think that will come from our students is that you know at first and there's a there are certain segments of our student population when they hear wealth management or they hear financial planning they still sense that this equals sales salesperson mm-hmm. uh, sales job building a book and and so that's been a myth that I have that I've really tried hard by saying that the industry in the profession is evolving and the positions are evolving. And there are still, yes, there are still sales positions or sales oriented type positions that certain firms are going to, that's how they're going to structure. Then there are, there are many, many opportunities where, you know, business development sales is going to be an activity that's going to be at some point once you start into your career. So I think that's probably the first one. Um, and then I'm thinking strictly from students. And I think that as we continue to tell that story, I think it will start to open up more opportunities for, I guess, more students and maybe more diverse students across the board to think of, you know, think of our profession as one that they would like to participate in. I'm trying to think on the firm side. You know, I, I I can't think of anything that immediately comes to mind. It's it's so it's it's so interesting just listening and having conversations with so many different either principals of larger firms or business owners, whether it's an independent BD or or RIA, mm-hmm. that they all are kind of looking for the same type of personality traits, but using kind of different words like people, persons, caring, empathy. I mean, so some of the quote unquote kind of soft skill buzzwords yeah. that you that, that you kind of hear that there is kind of the same I would, so i wouldn't say that there's necessarily a myth i don't know maybe there's myths out there that i just haven't heard <laughs> no that's good because we've heard you know from millennials and in in investing that they there are certain myths that we've actually been able to uncover in some of our research that laura's done and so uh it's just interesting to me as a manager to think about the younger generation coming and just wondered if you were hearing that. So that's good. Well, that's actually Yeah. Good. And most of it, I, I try as hard as I can to explain to the students how the business is running. We have heard some feedback that, that generally the students that might come out of our program maybe have had their expectations properly set, oh, That's good. you know, that's in the good. sense that, yeah, you know, I'm 22 years old, give me the corner office, or if I work six months, that's what I will get, or I'll have an entire book of business in a <laughs> year, you know, so, so I guess, so I guess if there are, are, are maybe myths that might be in their mind, I do it, but and like I say, you know, but I, that is something that I think is very important to me that they understand that, again, there's not one size fits all from firms, but kind of what you need to do as a young person, when you get in where you have to have 
grit and discipline and you need to take all different type of jobs, different tasks and do them at to the best of your ability. Yep. And again, th- th- these are kind of, these are kind of advice that we'd probably give to all young people, regardless of career, regardless of major, right? <laughs> um, right. But still, they have to be reminded of that. So I kind of right. feel that's kind of our job, right? As yep. maybe the older generation to to reach a helping hand to our to our to our younger, in some cases, kids, some cases, students. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Well, I I feel like you're a good one to do that. And Steve, you've offered us with some great information and it has been a great delight to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, I appreciate it, Laura. Thank you, David. Thank you. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to kind of tell the story that what we've done at Michigan State and again, to represent all of my, you know, fellow CFP program directors. So we're, we're here, we're here to help and we're here to get the students ready to be part of our wonderful profession. Great. Thank you, Steve. Well, if you're an advisor and would like to know more about either the undergrad or master's financial planning programs at Michigan State University, hey, just do what I did and visit www.msu.edu. And in the search box, just type in financial planning. (laughs) This information will also be available in the show notes. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.